Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It is the final hour of Hardline. It's only a two-hour show, but it is the final hour. It is Hardline. It is Sunday here on News Radio 930 WBEN and Let's get uh let's see what's going on around town, around the state, and around the federal government. It's Carl Calabrese joining us, political strategist. Carl, good morning. Good morning, Joe. You know, I'm gonna start I'm gonna start with you as I started with Congressman Jacobs. You know, it seems like every week for the last ten months, the first ten months of the Joe Biden administration, there has been a story from the southern border. Do you see this getting any better? No, because there seems to be no willingness or effort on the part of the administration to make it better. I mean, this isn't rocket science. Um, If they really, truly wanted to put an end to this massive flow of humanity under terrible suffering conditions, they could easily do it. You, You could easily shut down that border and go back to the policies that Donald Trump had instituted that really brought what is now a a flood, it brought it down to a trickle by having a stay in Mexico policy um, and many other things that Donald Trump did that was able to bring that number down. The the techniques are there. It's the willingness, the will to implement them. Uh, This is this is, I really do believe, Joe, this is what the administration wants. This is what the left wants. They've always wanted a country without borders and they're getting it now. And uh, until they actually begin to put actions to the words that they're talking. Uh, you can't take them seriously. They know what's going on. I believe they approve what's going on, and they want to continue to see it go on. Um, and they certainly are suffering in the polls because he is, uh, the president is really underwater on his performance uh, at the border uh, with the American people. And if it continues, it's going to be a major issue in the midterm elections uh, 13 months from now. Is this also something, Carl, as simple as they don't want to say Donald Trump was right about something? No question. Absolutely. I think there's a pattern here of if Trump did it, whether it worked or not, uh, whether it was very successful or not, it has to be undone. And unfortunately, most of the things they've undone were working pretty well. Um, so it's it's kind of ironic to hear them uh, talk about how they were locked into the agreement with Afghanistan that Donald Trump had negotiated. Uh, at the same time, they've undone every other agreement and every other policy that Donald Trump implemented that they don't like. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a lot of it. Absolutely. Is this situation at the border and uh, the numerous other things that we'll get into, is this just making Donald Trump more popular? <clears throat> um, 
you know, I think Donald Trump's popularity is kind of locked in. I think he's got his base of supporters uh, that really like him, and no matter what happens, it's uh, they're they're locked in. I also think he's got his the base of detractors who, no matter what he does, are never going to like him. So I think that's kind of static. But I I do think if you if you separate and you divorce Donald Trump the man from Donald Trump the policies, I think what's going on certainly makes the policies more popular. Maybe not the man, but certainly the policies. And, and going in, staying in Washington, D.C. for this next one, we saw the Congress and Senate pass a temporary funding bill till December 3rd. You know, Carl, is it maybe it's just me because I, I've never worked in politics, but is it is, will there ever be a time where just letting the government shut down be the better thing to do than temporarily fund it? Well, it has shut down in the past, and, and there's a lot of you know hand wringing and gnashing of teeth, and we're still here. We're still here as a society. We're still here as a government. Um, yeah, I mean, I could see it shutting down. Everybody plays brinksmanship, and and they you know all of a sudden the, the deadline passes, and you've got to shut down government. It usually handles itself pretty quickly because the the long term ramifications are very serious. But it's unfortunate that we're at this point where just think about it, Joe. Consider. The, having a bill extend the funding of government to wit, what date? December 3rd, two months from now, is considered a, a major victory, uh, an accomplishment for government. It's unbelievable. We, why can't we have a regular functioning government with a regular budget where these kinds of things are avoided? It, it really, really speaks to how dysfunctional con Congress has become. And these numbers they're throwing around, 3.5 trillion infrastructure, I can't imagine that's going to be popular with, uh, with the American voter in less than a year when they go to uh, vote in the midterm elections. No question. And let's, let's, let's correct something here. It is not $3.5 trillion. Congress's own scoring committee has said the real cost is $5.5 trillion because what there's a lot of gimmicks here. There's a lot of phase-in costs that aren't counted up front, and there's a lot of assumptions that many of these programs are going to be taken away in five years. We all know if you start to give middle America free things like free college, free daycare, free paid, paid leave, a $300 per child cash payment every month, you think you're going to take that away? I'll tell you right now, if the Republicans get control, they will not have the will or the stones to take that away. Politically, it's impossible. And the Democrats know that. And I do believe the Democrats play a very effective long game in getting these types of programs instituted, these entitlements, knowing that they may lose political power temporarily, but understanding that the pendulum always swings back and eventually they'll be back in power. Those programs will still be there. And they can be then they then can be expanded. They know that. That's the long game here. So it's five point five trillion. I believe we're starting to make Americans very jittery about the cost of these things going forward for their children and grandchildren. And again, right now, uh, this is a, a drag on the Democrat agenda, and it, it's likely to be a drag on Democrat candidates uh, come next fall in the midterm elections. Is it just me, or do Democrats take better uh, advantage of having full control than Republicans do? No question. Absolutely correct. Almost 100% of the time. Uh, Republicans campaign on big issues, and promise their base that they're going to move their agenda. And then they get in power, 
and they get very skittish. Uh, they be begin to worry too much about what the New York Times and the Washington Post says about them. They become very susceptible to the progressive left tactics, uh, intimidation tactics, and they start to back off. And they start to compromise amongst themselves. I mean, Republicans had control of both houses for the first two years of the Trump administration. Um, too, unfortunately, too many of them bought into the Russian hoax and thought Donald Trump was uh, not going to be around very long because of that, and they squandered those two years and lost control. But no, there's no, I've always said this, that when Democrats get power, they're very comfortable with exercising the levers of power to advance their agenda. Uh, the downside is they tend to overreach. The progressive left almost always overreaches when it does get power. I think we're seeing that now, but your, your premise is, is right on that when Republicans get power, they tend to get very skittish and start to negotiate among, uh, uh, against themselves, and they miss golden opportunities. Democrats and the left usually don't do that. I want to get to some local stuff, but one more uh, question out of D.C. Uh, Joe Manchin seems to be what every, who everyone's talking about, a moderate Democrat. What are the kind of conversations that Democrat leaders are having with him as he pretty much stands in their way of trying to get a, the bill passed in full? Well, I think what you're seeing, Joe, is the, the, the famous political adage that all politics is local. Uh, Joe Manchin understands that in a state like West Virginia, that is a very, very uh, red state, Donald Trump won by 39 or 40 points, that he's on a really short leash. I mean, if he strays too far and he begins to go to the Bernie Sanders AOC wing of the party in terms of voting for their agenda, his political life in West Virginia is going to be very short-lived. He understands that. And so um, he's just relying on the fact that there's just so far he can go and still remain a senator. Now, the Democrats are really beating him up. And, I mean, the left is just unmerciful in attacking him. And they've got to be careful because, remember, the Senate is 50-50. Uh, he would be very comfortable in the Republican Party. It would not hurt him at all in West Virginia to be a Republican. And if they're not careful and they get they get too bullish, uh, they could lose that majority in the Senate very quickly if he decides to say, I've had enough of you, I've had enough of your threats, I'm becoming a Republican. I would not be a bit surprised if there haven't been discussions between uh, McConnell and Manchin and other Republican leaders on that very subject. I don't think he's ready yet, but... Uh, if the Democrats overplay their hand and really come down on him a little too much, if they start taking him off of committees um, and his chairmanships and things like that, that's when the ground will be ready for a switch. And it he wouldn't be the first from West Virginia, as we saw their governor uh, switch parties a few years ago. That, that's correct. That's correct. Now, go, let's uh, go to Albany and, and Governor Kathy Hochul. And, and I want to start with something that's not – it wasn't from this week. It was from a week, a week ago. Um, but Howard Zucker finally stepping down. Are you surprised he stayed that long past Governor Cuomo? Yes, I am. I thought that would be one of the first changes she would make. Uh, I was very surprised she waited as long as she did. I'm glad she finally did it and pulled the trigger on it, but uh, it should have happened on, really literally in the first 24 to 48 hours. Um, he was complicit in the entire nursing home scandal and hiding numbers and manufacturing and falsifying numbers. Uh, may very well have been involved with the book deal. Uh, it was time for a fresh face in the Department of Health. Um, you know, she waited, in my opinion, a little too long, but I guess it's better late than never. And now there's finally a, a new person there. But I thought she should have done that immediately. I think it would have been a great sign and a great signal to the voters of New York, the residents of New York, that she was serious about going in a different direction from the Cuomo years. Now, I know it was, only, it was less than a month, but the fact that she did have him on her administration for a, a few extra weeks, do you think that'll be something that comes back and bites her during the uh, election? 
I, I don't at this point. I, I think, you know, by the election time, Howard Zucker will be Howard who. Uh, it'll be long gone. I think there'll be certainly other issues uh, that will be uh, on everybody's, uh, you know, front page. Uh, so I, I don't think it, it will. It, I, I think it was a, a flesh wound at this point and will not be a major issue uh, in, in the next election. But uh, uh, th there'll be other issues, believe me. There'll be other issues uh, that she'll have to deal with, uh, especially from the left. Uh, you're already seeing... Um, a number of uh, Democrats making noises about running against her in a primary. Jumani Williams, the public advocate in New York City, which is an elected position in New York City, has formed an exploratory committee to run for governor. This week, Letitia James uh, began a major outreach program meeting with business people and community leaders, and she's tossed out some very tantalizing hints, some very strong criticisms of the governor's office, not of Kathy Hochul, but the governor's office as being too powerful, um, the uh, ethics laws in New York State not being strong enough, and she even threw a dig in there about uh, immigration and how we have to be much more welcoming to immigrants, uh, up to and including driver's licenses, and uh, that's a definite dig at Kathy Hochul, who when she was Erie County clerk fought very hard against giving illegal aliens driver's license. So there are clues there. You've got a congressman, Tom Swazi, uh, from downstate uh, making noises about running for governor. Bill de Blasio is making noises. So you're starting to see the, the lines sh uh, shape up here for what could be a very interesting Democrat primary uh, come next year. You know, I, I know New York is getting more and more progressive, more and more to the left wing of the Democrat Party, but are there still enough Democrats in New York that would be against something like giving illegals um, driver's license, or is that now the popular opinion amongst New York Democrats? If you look at the Siena poll uh, of New York, which comes out every quarter, um, in New York State, we have moved so far to the left, even amongst Republicans, that uh, that kind of thing is much, much more accepted now uh, than it was just a few years ago. So, uh, yeah, it, it, New York is moving very far left on a whole spectrum of issues, economic, cultural, social, uh, crime and justice. It's, it's, really, it's really interesting to watch. When I get that Siena poll and I look at the numbers, I always go to the crosstab that breaks out what the Republicans are feeling. And uh, I'm, I shake my head sometimes uh, just how, how, to the, how far to the left of center Republicans in New York State ha have moved. Yeah, it, it, it's surprising sometimes, Carl. Uh, Kathy Hochul also with the, the nurse's mandate that, that seems to keep on coming up in the news. Uh, five or six percent of the workforce uh, forced to fo uh, forced to leave and threatening the National Guard. It, it, is, is this something that it, Kathy Hochul could get strike da struck down? Is this something she might move off? Or do you think she is not going to move off mandating vaccinations for anyone that she can mandate vaccinations for? Well, I... I don't think she wants to back off, but there are a couple of things that could make her back off. Uh, number one would be court decisions. So unions are going to court, other agencies are going to court, and uh, you know they may very well, a court may very well come down and say these are illegal mandates, you, you have to back off. That's scenario one. Scenario two is, is that by implementing these mandates, she may very well invoke a health care crisis. Uh, based on the fact that so many people are being let go. That could force her, if not to completely back off, begin to modify it and have to come up with some way to alleviate a crisis that she may very well be responsible for creating. I think both of those scenarios are a work in progress now, but uh, one or both of those could lead to her either backing off completely or having to modify her, uh, her initial directive. 
Now, I know we'll be talking a few more times before Election Day, but election, you know, after Labor Day, they always say, is when everything starts heating up, and it's October 1st, and everyone's talking about the mayoral race and the sheriff's race and all the local elections. Um, where do you, right now, looking at everything that's happened, see Byron Brown's chances of being reelected in November? Well, you know, I've said this before, I think, on uh, the morning show with uh, Brian and Susan. Um, my favorite uh, quote to sum this up about Byron Brown's chances of winning a write-in come from the second Godfather movie when they were talking about assassinating Hyman Roth and how difficult it would be uh, that it would be surrounded by federal agents. And one of the people in the room said, oh, it's impossible to do that. And the eventual assassin smoking a cigarette says, difficult, but not impossible. Uh, that's, I think that's Byron Brown's situation now. It's difficult, uh, but not impossible. He's, I believe, about ready to launch a major public education campaign to educate the public on something they're not used to doing, and that's writing in a name. Uh, it's reported that his campaign is buying rubber stamps, a massive amount of rubber stamps. I would assume that they will have uh, poll workers at every single polling place in Buffalo on Election Day from morning till night uh, handing out those rubber stamps. They should also be handing out a facsimile of the ballot with the box in the lower right-hand corner where you actually stamp in the name or write in the name, circled in red. So people are going in and literally have a roadmap of where to find the write-in box on the ballot and have a, a rubber stamp to just stamp it in. Don't even have to worry about writing it, spelling it, anything else. So I, I think that's that's going to be the the thrust of his campaign over the next month is educating people, uh, number one, how to do it, just physically how to do it, where to find the box on the ballot to do it in, and getting them comfortable with something they're not normally comfortable with. And the other thing he's, he's going to be swimming upstream on is, in a, situ in a situation like the city of Buffalo, you've had generations of voters, mostly Democrats, going to the polls and just basically looking for the line with D after a person's name for Democrat and voting Democrat, voting the straight ticket. And his name's not going to be on the ballot and it's not going to have a D after it. So he's swimming upstream on that to, to break people of that, that voting habit of looking for the Democrat line and voting for the people on that line instead looking for the write-in box and stamping his name in it. Difficult but not impossible. Um, and the other thing that he has to do is he's got to he's got to energize that grassroots political organization that he was noted for for so many years. He was always noted as a hands-on grassroots politician, a guy who did not uh, take anything for granted, a guy who did not leave any you know anything uh, uh, to chance, and he he made sure his organization functioned on election day to identify and get out his vote. He did not do that in primary um, for the primary. He needs to to go back to the old Byron of making sure that every single district is worked and reworked to identify his voters and get them out to the polls. And now you have to add the idea of teaching them how to vote in a write-in. So difficult, but not impossible. Is he flirting with a legal issue with the rubber stamps? Is that right on the, uh, the could there be a legal issue brought if they're outside polling stations giving rubber stamps? Uh, apparently not. Uh, I've seen both election commissioners on television, Republican and Democrats, say that uh, that the law allows for rubber stamps. It does not allow for stickers. Okay, so if they had a sticker with his name, putting a sticker on is not allowed because as the ballot goes through the machine, it's kind of you know kind of sucked in through by rollers. That stickers can can gum up those rollers and prevent the machine from working. So that's why they're not allowed. But a rubber stamp, apparently under New York State law, according to our election commissioners is completely legal, legal and 
I would think very unlikely to be challenged uh, with any type of chance of success. Do you do you do you look at this? Keep on looking at this election and just think to yourself, if only he had ran a primary election. Oh sure, you know I'm I'm giving a talk to a, a church group uh, this Tuesday night. Uh, they invite me every year to speak about politics. I'm going to speak about the local race being the Byron Brown mayor race. I'm going to talk about um, Kathy Hochul's situation statewide, and I'm going to talk about next year's midterm elections. But I start my talk out regarding the local races. How did we get here? How did we get to a point where a four-term, very popular, well-funded uh, mayor with a very, very impressive record of accomplishments get to the point where he loses a primary against an unknown, underfunded member of the Democratic Socialists of America? How did we get there? Uh, and the reason we got there is two reasons. Um, one is that he was asleep at the switch, and his organization was asleep at the switch, and his voters were asleep. Uh, you know, every incumbent politician fears, especially those who have big leads in the polls, fear the idea that a lot of their supporters might say, oh, I don't have to come out and vote for Carl. I don't have to come out and vote for Byron. They're shoe-ins. I don't need to vote in a primary. Um, and I think that that infected his voters. They, I think they were just as surprised and shocked as Byron Brown was and his organization was because everybody was asleep at the switch. The other reason we're here is because of a very sophisticated strategy by the Democratic Socialists of America uh, in, in electing people. And, you know, after AOC got elected a few years back, I went on the, the Democratic Socialists of America website, and it was quite clear they're not a political party nor do they want to be a political party. Their stated goal was to get enough influence in the Democrat Party to make the Democrat Party the driver of their agenda. And the plan that they laid out and that AOC followed is going to sound very familiar. They said, first you look for a long-term incumbent who looks like they may be a little long in the tooth, a little lazy, a little too confident. And then you run a young, energetic Democratic Socialist to energize that part of the Democrat Party base in a primary, not a general election. So if you've got 20 to 30% of the Democrat Party of that, of that philosophical ilk, you run somebody who's going to energize them and get them to turn out against an incumbent who may be just going through the motions because they're overconfident. That's how AOC beat one of the leading members of Congress, a guy in line to be speaker. And that's, that's the India Walton playbook. That's exactly what they did here in Buffalo. And they do it in primaries because if you only have 20% of the, of the voters turning out, you can win with 10% plus one. Uh, and so that's what AOC did, and that's what India Walton did. So that's how we got here. We got here with a combination of the Brown campaign essentially going through the motions at the same time the other side having a very specific well-thought-out strategy, and they, as an old political friend of mine used to say, they, they plan their work and they work their plan. And they're going to be doing this all over the country. They're doing it now. They've done it in other places for Congress. If she wins at the municipal level, you're going to see this playbook engaged across the country at every level of government. And then the other local uh, elections we're looking at, the sheriff's race, the comptroller race, uh, really not looking good for Republicans because of the turnout we're expecting in the city, correct? Absolutely. Uh, you know, timing is very, very important in politics, the year you decide to run. And uh, in a normal situation, if Byron Brown had won that primary and you essentially had no mayoral race in the city of Buffalo and there was really no high-profile race to bring out voters, it could be a much different situation for a Republican candidate for countywide office. But uh, the fact that you're now going to have what I would think would be a pretty good turnout in the city of Buffalo, uh, of Democrats, that works, that works against the Republicans' chances countywide, no question about it.
In a, another um, election that I he- I don't hear a lot about in the news, but see a lot about on social media, is uh, the town of Hamburg supervisor. Uh, what's that looking at? What's uh, who's projected to win that? I know we're far away, but who would be the favorite right now? You know, I think it's too early to tell. I mean, these local races, uh, you know, you don't have the kind of polling and attention that uh, other races get. And right now, there's really no issue that has kind of burst out beyond the borders of Hamburg uh, to get everybody's attention to say, you know, what's going to happen there. Um, And and so oftentimes, these local races in in off years like this uh, come down to just the old-fashioned you know, the, the basics of politics. What side is going to do a better job getting their vote turned out? Carl, I, I took you longer than uh, than you promised, and I, uh, I appreciate you no joining me this Sunday. That no is problem. political Take strategist Carl Calabrese. You'll hear him throughout the week on David Bellavia show, obviously Monday and Friday, and in the morning with Brian and Susan. And I'm happy he joined me. I'm a little late for the news. Neil, I apologize. We will be back with Mickey Kearns here on WBE. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. Welcome back. It is Hardline, the final segment here on News Radio 930 WBEN. If you've missed any of the show, you can find it on demand at WBEN.com and on the Odyssey app, but you wouldn't want to do that until after the show, of course. Joining us for the final segment is Erie County Clerk Mickey Kearns. Mickey, good morning. Good morning, Joe. Uh, congratulations on your marriage. How's everything going? Thank you, thank you. Uh, the first week was good, and you know we uh, we celebrated our one week anniversary at somebody else's wedding. So uh, so far, so good. I hope I hope you're serving her breakfast in bed every day. Don't change uh, every day except for on Sundays, of course. Of course. <laughs> now, Mickey, you know I was thinking this, but. Before we came back from this, uh, before we came back from this break, I was thinking, you know, I think during the pandemic, everyone uh, realized just how many of the uh, clerk services they use regularly. And I just want to say thank you for always making yourself available to update how everything's been going during the pandemic. Well, Joe, we never closed in the sense of uh, the business community was essential. Uh, the Erie County Clerk's Office is so essential to the community. The NFADA. Uh, you can purchase a car, but if you can't register it, then, uh, you know, you can't get that sales tax. You can't get the car on the road. So we were essential uh, during the pandemic. We continue to be essential. And I thank all of the Erie County employees for their hard work in these difficult times. 
Now, you know, I always go with the uh, with the first thing, and that is where uh, where do we stand on DMV services? Where do we stand on – last time we had John talked about getting your passport. Has anything gotten a little better since the last time we've talked? Joe, everything is going uh, quite well at the clerk's office. We still require a appointment, and we're doing quite well with that. Uh, something – we've had a SOP opening – uh, since the last time I talked to you, uh, we've extended hours. We are now open Monday through Friday uh, at 7 a.m. in the morning. So uh, prior to that, uh, you had we had 9 o'clock hours. So if you couldn't make it during your lunchtime or maybe possibly on a Saturday, so we're open from 7 a.m. at 9 a.m. at many of our locations. If you go to erie.gov, uh, when you make an appointment, you'll see those new extended hours. And Joe, we're trying to be as flexible as we can for the public. And I passed that uh, that new location inside the Eastern Hills Mall when I was going to Bath and Body Works, Mickey, and it looked like you guys were uh, quite busy that day. We were doing quite <laughs> well. We've expanded our, our services there. And because of COVID-19, we're preparing for the future. Uh, we're going to have another exciting announcement. We're going to be reopening. We were formerly in the uh, Evanstown Hall. Uh, we're going to have a new location out in Evans coming up uh, in the beginning of the year. So we're getting back uh, to normal. But, you know, the county clerk's office is one of the most important offices in the county, not because I'm there, because it generates revenue. Erie County had a $5 million surplus, and uh, the Erie County clerk's office had a $5 million surplus. So you could tell how important uh, revenue-generating-wise the important is to Erie County. As we're talking about uh, the county, we know we have some important elections coming up, and that deadline is quickly approaching. Yes, I was listening to you and Carl Calabrese uh, talking about uh, the countywide elections and uh, the locals' mayor's race, and I just want to remind residents, you know, the fast-approaching voter registration deadline, It's uh, they must be registered by October 8, 2021, and if you come into the Erie County Audit Bureau, when you complete a driver's license renewal or even a new license, a learner permit or non-driver's ID, um, you can uh, register to vote. So once again, uh, the uh, Erie County Clerk's Office is another opportunity when you come into the Erie County Auto Bureau or the Clerk's Office located in Old County Hall, 92 Franklin Street. We've got applications uh, which must be po- postmarked no longer than October 8th, Jill. All right, now I have a, 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 a very uh, detailed question here, so I apologize, but uh, uh, this re- is about renewals of the notary public. Um, the, the forms and fees have been sent in, uh, but still have not received uh, their new card, and they still are having the old expiration date. If someone's looking to follow up on the renewal of their notary, who do they get in contact with? Yep, you can call my office directly. Uh, 858-6985, we'd be happy to help uh, anyone deal with that. That's an important part uh, of the legal process. So we definitely want to make sure that people have updated uh, notaries. But, yes, you can call my office directly, 858-6985, ask for me directly, and we'll get you taken care of. And, Mickey, are we still telling people to to, uh, apply for their passports as soon as possible if they have something going on early next year? Absolutely. Uh, You know, one of the things that we're even talking about, we've had conversations with, is that, you know, we would like to do more to expedite the passport on behalf of the passport agencies. Uh, We're not there. We don't have 
control over that. We don't process the passport, but what we do is we have uh, definitely close contact uh, with them, and they're still very far behind uh, in processing passports. So we uh, accept the application on behalf of the customer, and they are still uh, way behind. They're behind two to three months. Uh, we've had some uh, conversations with our local uh, federal representatives about seeing if uh, the Erie County Clerk's Office could be a pilot to help expedite that process. Uh, we do it all the time. Uh, we work with very important documents, federal documents with the real ID. But yes, if you're considering traveling, uh, remember, uh, you just can't call the clerk's office and have that passport done and processed in a week or so time. You really have to plan for that vacation. If you were like Joe going on his honeymoon, uh, I know he planned ahead of time and you get the passport and you'll be able to enjoy yourself, but they're still quite backed up. Well, we got to be fair. The only reason I planned ahead was because we had you on and you told me about the uh, long wait time. And right after that show, I went and filled out the application. You have to do that. So even with the real ID, uh, that uh, is not going to be required. That's not going to be a mandate until May 3rd of 2023. And you think to yourself, well, I have time to do that. Uh, Getting the proper documentation sometimes takes a little bit of time. Original birth certificate required by the federal government. Uh, But we're going to be getting into 2022. We're into October. And pretty soon, uh, I would not put that off. Uh, In order to travel uh, within the continental U.S., you're going to need either a real ID or enhanced driver's license or, as you said, a passport. So all of these documentations are very, very important. Now, that was something that has been moved, right? Because we were supposed to have real IDs by the end of this year, correct? Correct. It's been moved because of the pandemic, uh, but it has now uh, been made mandated May 3rd of 2023. And I think that'll be the last time it's moved because uh, people are traveling quite frequently now. The numbers are up uh, at the airport. We're seeing more people who are uh, vaccinated or, or uh, you know, and you're seeing more of the requirements and people feel more comfor- comfortable traveling now. Uh, last weekend, you, the uh, clerk's office uh, helped part in a COVID vaccine pop-up. How did that go? I think it went quite well. I think, um, um, you know, I, I do do a radio show, 96.5 uh, WFO. And what we're trying to do at the clerk's office is it's a ministerial office. Uh, we don't vote. I don't vote on any legislation. It's a customer service office. So we provide the information for people. And Dr. Vasquez, uh, who's a great leader in the Buffalo community, uh, offered these services. So we wanted to give people who uh, wanted the vaccine, Dr. Vasquez and his team uh, was outside WFO. And I think it went quite well. And uh, as I said, I think it's really important as we move forward, uh, you know, that everyone at least has an opportunity. And, um, you know, that opportunity is important. Now, this, this month is Disability Awareness Month, and you guys are holding a fall outreach, correct? Joe, it's so important. Uh, one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of since I've become Erie County Clerk is, you're right, uh, October is the National Disability Employment Awareness Month. It really upsets me because I talk to many business people, uh, business leaders in the community, and so many times now um, they need good workers And it's really a time when there are jobs looking for people instead of people looking for jobs. And every single time I say to people, have you ever considered someone uh, with a disability? 
And, you know, this year's theme is centered around uh, the American recovery power by inclusion. If anyone knows anything about disabilities, like I have a brother who was born mentally retarded, uh, just a great, great young man. Uh, his uh, limitations are beyond him participating in the workforce. But there's so many other people that can contribute, and inclusion is so important. And we've come so far since the uh, American Disability Act was passed under President Bush, but we haven't come far enough. You know, um, right now, 70% um, of our people with disabilities are unemployed. So what we do is we do our best to link people together. There's so many opportunities uh, to do that and to give them a chance to be part of our economy. And individuals with disabilities, um, one of the things you need when you get a job, Joe, you need ID, right? And you're able to obtain a state-issued picture identification through the Erie County Audit Bureau. And we help people with that. And we want to help them with disabilities to get that government uh, identification. So when they go for employment, uh, they're prepared with the required ID to accept the job. So if anyone is listening out there, you know, I encourage you uh, to give people with disabilities an opportunity. I believe inclusion in the workplace is within everyone's ability. And there's so many good people out there. And finally, like, you know, we talk about the Auto Bureau. I had a, a young man that used to come visit me when I was in the assembly, Danny. And Danny said to me one day, Mr. Kearns, your door is not accessible to me. I'm having a hard time getting in. I said, Danny, I'm going to do my best to make sure that the doors sw uh, swing wide open for you. And uh, what we've done is we've updated the doors at the Auto Bureau. Uh, so, you know, people with disabilities and regular people, too, can walk in or, or get in with their wheelchair or whatever is impeding them, but there's no obstacle to getting into services. And that's very important to me since I've become clerk, making sure that our offices are accessible to everyone. And this outreach will be at the Eastern Hills location? Yep. It'll be, we, we move it around, Joe, as you know, we do it a couple times a year. Uh, you will not be required to have an appointment. It's on Saturday, October 23rd from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. We'll stay as long as we can. And you said you were in the mall. It's right by uh, our offices, are right by the entrance by Duff's in the Buffalo store. And, you know, we will have the Erie County Office for the Disabled. Thank camarada. I was with them yesterday. It was on my show to assist individuals on other matters pertaining uh, to identification or any other uh, questions. But I, I do encourage people to they need their original birth certificate, a Social Security card, and, of course, a pen. And uh, you can always go to erie.gov slash clerk slash auto bureau. But once again, Joe, Saturday, October 23rd from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m., uh, we want to do this disability awareness fall outreach. And the biggest thing is providing that documentation so when people get a job, they have the proper documentation. And something we always talk about is uh, the zombie properties. I still can't get over. This was before the pandemic uh, when you came in and showed some of the pictures of the uh, properties that you had gone and uh, had been reported. Uh, any updates on zombie properties around the county? Joe, we're going to have another demolition in Clarence tomorrow. Do you believe it? I've done uh, working with the supervisor and his team and working with our zombie property initiative. Uh, this is going to be our second uh, demolition tomorrow that's going to happen uh, 10 a.m. tomorrow. But, um, you know, Habitat for Humanity, um, 
great people like that. You know, I was out in the Madison district the other day with Mayor Brown, uh, taking a tour of the uh, of the district with the human, um, Habitat for Humanities Buffalo's Lead Build Community Program. You know, a zombie property can happen anywhere, and people think about it as an urban uh, issue. We've now done uh, demolitions. Our past demolitions are uh, two in Clarence, uh, the Village of Sloan, the great mayor out there and his team. Uh, we're out in uh, Kenmore, Broadway. And unfortunately, we don't want demolitions. We want solutions. We want people living in these houses. But that's why we always say, if you're behind on your loan, stay in your home, and we try to figure out a solution. And we finally have the banks and the service providers coming to the table. But in addition to that, Joe, uh, I've requested the courts to create a new part. We don't want the courts to be an obstacle uh, after all of these moratoriums are completed. Uh, and they're going to be quite busy with evictions and um, foreclosures, and uh, they have to make this a priority. So we're continuing our best to help people because, as you know, I always say it, you don't buy the house, you buy the neighborhood. So we're doing the best we can to help people. Now, when that demolition takes place, where does that land get turned over to? Well, it depends in many instances. Um, the uh, town, uh, for, the, for the instance in this situation, the town, um, there might be an agreement between the service provider and the bank. Um, there has to be some legal things. There might have to be a deed in lieu of foreclosure. Uh, but normally, um, our last demolition uh, that was completed over on Chisler Road, uh, that will be uh, given to the town. And that will go back on the voters' roll, and someone could buy that and build a house. And I mean, we don't want it to get to that point, but when the banks are not following through and not completing the foreclosures uh, within a, um, you know, a speedy time, and we try to make it as quick as possible for them, uh, this is the problem when houses sit for four or five winters, we know what happens. So in many instances, if the foreclosure is not complete, uh, that's what happens. People leave the home, and they don't think they're the home, uh, they're not the owner of record. Uh, when you have a zombie property, that's a property that has a mortgage, and you leave that home, and the foreclosure is not complete, you are still responsible for the property. That's why we say to people, stay in your home um, and, and make sure that you know the process is complete. One more question before I let you go. How do you feel about the Bills game in one hour? Um, I'm guaranteeing a victory. I'm guaranteeing a victory. Uh, the Buffalo Bills need to go forward. Uh, they need to move past uh, this divisional thing, get this wrapped up, and then they really need to beat Kansas City next week. I really think that next week is the week that uh, they need to get it done. They're playing at home. Uh, they know uh, they're playing a superior team, backup quarterback. You know, they got to win today, and they got to win fast, put their foot on their head, and, and just really, you know, defeat them early. And make them so they want to, everybody wants to leave really get the game over, and then we'll watch Tom Brady break the record tonight. I can't believe that we're all rooting for Tom Brady <laughs> in New England tonight, but I guess I am too. I'll tell you, you know, the, I, I feel confident, but when I feel confident about a Buffalo sports team, it never ends well. So that's where my, uh, my nervousness is on this game. Well, I think, I think they got the, the bad one out of their system. It might be a blessing disguise with the, with the Pittsburgh game, Joe. Uh, they got a really good defense. And uh, I do think that they were reading some of their press clippings, and we've got a you know we've got a strong quarterback. It's not a secret anymore. Uh, people have doubted Josh Allen for he's not only a nice guy; they doubted him for such a nice time. He's an extraordinary talent, 
not too many quarterbacks can run and pass the way he can. But on any given Sunday, Joe, as you know, this is the NFL. Anyone could be beat. My money is on the Bills, uh, but I don't get paid to do that. <laughs> I'm hopeful that they win, and then they got to win next week. They have to win next week, and I think after next week, that's going to be the telltale sign. All eyes on uh, Sunday night next week. Erie County Clerk, Mickey Kearns, thank you as always for joining me this Sunday morning. And Joe, once again, congratulations. I'm so happy that everything worked out. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. That is Erie County Clerk Mickey Kearns joining us. That is Hardline. My thanks to Congressman Chris Jacobs, Carl Calabrese, and Erie County Kirk, uh, Clerk Mickey Kearns. That is all. We are back tomorrow. And uh, from what I know, it's the normal weekday lineup, back the lineup you know and love. So uh, wake up with us tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. here on News Radio 930 WBEN. All star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.